welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. With me tonight is Morgana. And tonight we're welcoming Morgan Daimler again. She is our resident fairy expert lady, and she is coming here to talk with us about something that happened 127 years ago, which sounds really like it was, you know, in the dark ages because we have short attention spans these days. But 127 years ago in Ireland, in County Tipperary, a woman was burned to death in, in her home, in her own kitchen, by her family, mostly her husband. And her name was Bridget Cleary, and her death is often told as the last witch burning in Ireland. But I, I don't, I think that's not exactly quite how you'd put it, but a lot of people say that. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting case. And to 21st century people, it seems really open and shut, murder, straight up. That's it. But there's a lot of other issues surrounding it. And I also want to point out that 127 years ago is not that long ago because that was the year my great aunt was born. And I knew her when I was growing up and she didn't die until I was like 18 years old. So that's, that's within generational, you know, knowledge. So that's not that strange and long ago. All right. But why do I say it wasn't a witch burning and, and not straight up murder is this her family considered her to be a changeling. So Morgan, let's talk about changeling lore a little bit so we can sort of set the stage for why they maybe thought this. Sure. I feel like we should also start this episode with just like every content warning possible for anyone that's going <laughs> to yeah, be listening to this. Yeah, you're right. I, I fell down on that. No, yeah. no you're okay, fine. So, but there's there's going to so, be a lot <laughs> going on. There's there's violence, there's, uh, there's, there's death, and, and, and some of it's very gruesome. So, Horse feeding of urine. Yeah, that's bad, too. Um, At one point. It's, it's if, if, you, if you have PTSD over any kind of being abused, just maybe, I don't know, don't listen, and come back next week, and, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll be glad to have you then. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's impossible to talk about changelings without talking about just some very grim kind of subject material. Um, and, you know, a lot of people who are familiar with changeling is more from like pop culture uh, because it's changeling for whatever reason has gotten kind of super trendy recently. You really they took away all the grim parts <laughs> and just made it sort of more like fun um, for fiction purposes, uh, for the most part, but the actual folklore it, it, it can be pretty dark, and the actual history connected to the folklore is definitely very dark. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind as we <laughs> keep on with the topic. Um, but yeah, so changelings—it's a concept that we find um, not just in Ireland, but in other sort of Western European cultures that have fairy beliefs, which is all Western European cultures, really. Um, and it's this idea that fairies will occasionally steal people. Why they do that, there's various different reasons. 
Um, sometimes they'll take an infant or a young child because they want to sort of increase their own numbers. Um, sometimes they'll take an older child. Sometimes they'll take uh, a younger woman or a young man. Um, sometimes, as in the case we're discussing tonight, Bridget Cleary was 26, so sort of a young adult. Um, why they do it? Lots of different reasons. Um, generally not anything that's going to be really positive for the human, but, you know, that all said, they take the human and then they leave behind what is called a changeling. And in some cases, a changeling is sort of a magically illusioned object. So it's like a stick in a lot of cases that the fairy magic makes it appear like the person who is taken. And then it seems to get sick and die and is buried. And meanwhile, the fairies actually have the person. And in some other cases, particularly with infants and young, young, young children, um, it's a sickly fairy baby who is dying and unwell. And they sort of swap that out and take the healthy human baby, leave behind the sick fairy baby. Um, and again, uh, generally, the fairy then doesn't last for very long and everyone thinks the human has died but actually the humans are the fairies. The third case which is more what we might be kind of dealing with uh, in our conversation tonight is when an adult fairy is kind of swapped out for the stolen human. In a lot of the stories that we have particularly the folklore stories this is an older fairy who is kind of looking for a, it's sort of like a cushy fairy retirement plan you know, so they'll kind of come in sometimes in the place of a baby, but they're they're sort of looking to be cared for and looked after and have an easier life than, you know, whatever they had before. And I mentioned these three different things because the way the folklore is, there's different ways that a person would um, not only sort of test to see if it was a changeling, but also try to get rid of the changeling. And all of the ways to get rid of changelings are really unpleasant. Um, and honestly, what we would, you know, in, in modern terms, describe as torture. So the idea was generally to want to make the changeling leave, or if it was actually a fairy baby, to want to make the fairies come and take it back by making it so uncomfortable and unpleasant. Um, but obviously what happened, which, which is what we find with a lot of the, you know, not folklore accounts per se, the anecdotal accounts, is that you had humans who had a behavioral issue or a birth defect or birth trauma in some cases, um, or got sick or, you know, through whatever uh, various occurrence had a major personality change or a serious illness or something along those lines. And the people around them would then think, well, this isn't really the human. This is, they've been changed. They've been turned into a changeling. And so they would then have these same methods applied to them uh, and often resulting in their death. There are several criminal trials prior to the Bridget Cleary one, um, particularly around children, where uh, the, the child did not survive the attempt to drive out the um, the alleged changeling. And then the the people responsible were tried for murder because of it. So in some cases successfully, in some cases not, um, which is something I think we'll get into more as we get into everything that happened yeah. with Bridget Cleary. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so that's sort of the, the rough outline of what changings are and kind of the, 
the beliefs attached to them. And when it, when it came to changelings, who were the people who kind of held this knowledge of how to deal with a changeling? Was it common knowledge to everybody? Were there experts? Was it kind of a combination? It was, you know, it was what sort of, yeah, it was a bit of a combination in that like everyone would be familiar with the concept of changelings. Like it was very widespread folk belief (laughs) and most people would have sort of an idea of some of the, the things that might indicate a changeling um, but there were sort of specialists that people would go to um, and there are various names for these sorts of people um, fairy doctor is one of the more common ones in English uh, cunning folk is one they wouldn't use that in Ireland but it's one um, the audience might be familiar with that concept um, but you see fairy doctors um, Ben Fassa is one of the words in Irish uh, or um, Farfasa would be the, the male equivalent um, these are people who were kind of extra knowledgeable when it came to the good folk and sort of the signs of their presence and also how to to successfully deal with them. And it's really important to note when we talk about changing folklore that a key aspect of all this belief was that it was possible to get someone back. You know, there are accounts and there are stories of people who were successfully rescued. You know, the changeling is is driven off and the real person is returned. Um, and you can, you know, make of that what you will, but it's, it's a really significant underpinning to this belief system is the idea that there is a way it can be done and it has been done by people. Thank you. Um, yeah, that, that's a good, good, concise explanation. Well, I think, you know, whether we're talking about Bridget Cleary or whether we're talking about some of the other cases, you know, one of the main things that people always wonder is like, why would someone do this? You know, um, there's one account, not Bridget Cleary, because we haven't even jumped into all of the stuff to talk about with that yet. But there one count, one case with um, a child where um, I believe he was four or five uh, and he'd been born uh, paralyzed. So it was some sort of birth trauma issue in his case. Um, but uh, one of these, you know, folk healers, um, fairy um, doctors, if you will, convinced his mother that he was a changeling and that if they brought him to this river and just, you know, held him in the water for a certain number of days that he would be cured. But on the third day, he, he died. Um, and a lot of people look at that and they don't understand why someone would do that. But you, you have to understand that they really, truly believed this would bring back the, the real human um, and obviously it's, it's cruel and it's inhumane and, you know, definitely do not, please do not go out and do this ever. Um, but you sort of have to understand that mindset that someone would be in, why they would do that. Um, Cause they, they genuinely thought it would work. Obviously. It and didn't. I mean, you're desperate at that point. Mm-hmm. You've got an alien being in exchange for your loved one in your house, in your life that's not doing well and you want your wife or sister or father or son or cousin or whatever back, especially if they're sickly at this point and you're like, this is a sickly changeling. Where is my healthy baby? I want my healthy baby back. Like I can totally see how you would, if there was a previously existing belief structure in place, 
how you would be like, okay, I know what to do. I will do the thing. And then it would be, I imagine it would be a horrible tragedy for anyone who attempted to get a changeling back and accidentally, because to me, it seems almost accidental to have accidentally killed somebody or seriously wounded a human. Yeah. There's, there's like, it's almost like manslaughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously yes. Manslaughter is still a crime, still horrific, but yeah, there's, there's no intent generally to, to kill the person. Like they're not, even when they believe it's a changeling, they're not trying to kill the changeling. They're not trying to kill the the human child, obviously. Um, Usually that happens uh, unintentionally in these cases. Not always, I will say. There's a couple that are a little more gruesome where, you know, clearly that was what was intended. But yeah, it's it's that belief that, you know, you're not going to, going to kill the child you're going to save the child in some sense or the adult because again it's not always children um there's many cases where um it's an anecdotal account particularly of a woman who um, was thought to have died in childbirth and um you know the the husband comes to believe that she was actually taken by the fairies and you know from a 21st century perspective we can kind of argue there's some aspects of grief with this and unwillingness to accept that a person has died um, but they, mm-hmm. they genuinely believed that the person had not died and that they could rescue them and bring them back. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I think about with young mothers uh, is postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. You know, when they talk about a woman who had been, you know, her first with her first two children, she was up out of bed and nursing them and happy and singing. And then the third child came and then she, you know, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't, you know, keep weight on, was shrinking away, was crying. And that was a changeling, yeah. you know, to them yeah. that, that that would be what happened because nobody knew about postpartum depression of course even today a lot of people i know right don't really know (laughs) as much as they should about postpartum depression no definitely exactly um exactly and you know that also i think the postpartum depression um definitely explains at least some of the cases uh you know again from this modern perspective kind of retroactively looking at them and also in some cases infants that were thought to be changelings if you have a mother who is having postpartum depression or even postpartum psychosis, some of the symptoms connected to that can be feeling like this is not actually your child, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, I mean, it's, it's a very distressing um, situation to be in when you're, you're suffering from that. And so I can see kind of the both sides of that, where the mother is seen mm-hmm. as the changeling for everything you just described, but then also, you know, the, the mother believes the baby is a changeling because mm-hmm. of um, that mental state that's occurring. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely think, you know, some of the cases we can can look at it with that lens. Exactly. I think especially when you're talking about a mother looking at her child as a foreign, you know, a foreign person, not her baby. Her baby doesn't look like that. Her baby wasn't crying all the time you know, and, and it won't take her milk and and whatever, or it has colic. And that explains because a lot of people look at 
you know, how could a mother do that? Well, she could do that easily if her um, mental processes are not, you know, flying on all thrusters, as Dr. McCoy would say. Yep. It, it, she's not thinking clearly. She's not in a good state of mind. Yep. And then once the mother turns, then the rest of the family kind of yeah, follows. follows yeah. 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 Um, definitely. I think there really hasn't been enough, in my opinion, um, analysis or research done looking particularly at adult examples of changelings um, research scholars tend to focus more on infants and children. Um, there is a really good dissertation by Rose Sawyer looking at um, changeling folklore through the lens of various disabilities, um, behavioral and physical. Uh, and that again gets into a lot of this, you know, you have a child who has been healthy and then suddenly something changes because of course some genetic disorders don't kick in until certain ages. Um, some things, you know, you can seem all right at birth and then have an issue. Um, mm -hmm. There was one girl who was, um, this is a criminal trial case, who was killed as a changeling who was noted had had a stroke in infancy. So they uh. kind of knew that that issue had happened. But, you know, um, like I said, it's you, as a parent, you hit a certain point where, someone comes in and starts to convince you though well, this is actually your child you know when that incident happened that was actually when the fairies took them and now we can get them back and you know it just takes you to a very dark place um in all of these cases um one of the other criminal trials was a little boy that had smallpox and or um actually it might have been scarlet fever now that i'm thinking about it but they knew he had been sick he was recovering from the illness but obviously you know six-year-old boy he'd been very ill he was recovering he wasn't the same mm -hmm. you know and so rumors had kind of started um and eventually his father was sort of convinced by some other people around them that he was actually a changeling so we see things like that that one in particular i wanted to mention because it's always reminded me a lot of the bridget cleary case mm -hmm. um that they they kind of knew he had a physical illness but still it, it got brought into this uh, this folk belief area um, and also right. ended very badly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Morgana, do you want to start talking about who Bridget Cleary was sure. and how, how, how her family was and sort of how it worked? I and I can, I'll jump in with you and attempt. We'll I will attempt to keep it all straight because there are a lot of relatives. I don't think we need to, to give everybody's okay. name, but, you know, just Bridget Cleary was born Bridget Boland, I believe. Boland. Mm -hmm. Boland. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Bridget Boland um, in a small town and in County Tipperary um, near Clonmel. Um, and she ended up marrying a, and I don't want to say outsider, like spooky outsider, but she did end up marrying someone who is not from her small village. She married Michael Cleary in 1887 or 83. 87. I think it was 87. Thank you. Cause she was, oh, maybe it was. Yeah, she was yep, 20. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She was 26 that's when right. she died. So she would have been really, yeah, thank you. 
really young in 83. No, I wrote all of this down, but I have a terrible memory for numbers. I turn threes, sevens, and fives into each other. Yeah. I I don't know why. Um, And John Dunn was the best man at their wedding who was rumored to be a fairy doctor or and or fairy ridden because he had a limp those two things often were intertwined Mm -hmm. which makes sense you know you've had contact with the other side frequently you get your info from you exactly you're you're linked into that other world um and they ended up moving in with Bridget's parents in a newly built cottage created by the Board of Guardians. Incidentally, this links up with some random research I did a long time ago about another topic. Um, and it was a new tenement cottage, which were very hard to come by at the time in Ireland. And it was a pretty nice setup. Um, and it overlooked a fairy mountain. The name of which I am terrified of trying to pronounce, <laughs> but I will try. And and Morgan can can fix it. It'll yes, be okay because I am going to say it wrong. Um, but it overlooked. Oh God! It starts with an S. I'm afraid of saying it. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm trying to think of which one exactly you're referencing because there's. A couple there's different two. things that show up, yeah. And yeah, I don't want to say the two. wrong one. <laughs> there's two there are two fairy mountains that are not like huge mountains. The They're one mounds. that the cottage overlooks is Sleeve Sleeve and Naaman. Sleeve and Naaman? Sleeve and Naaman, yeah. Well, close enough. Yeah. Sleeve oh, Sleeve's mountain, so um, which had two fairy wraths. There we go. Sleeve, on it. sleeve them on. Yeah. Sleeve them on. Okay. I put one extra syllable that I didn't need. Right. <laughs> I had to look it up and actually look at it. It's the <laughs> dyslexia. It's fine. Same. We <laughs> all three have it. So. <laughs> um, and Bridget was the child of a wise woman, according to what I was reading. Um, And interestingly, Michael Cleary was also the child of a woman who had been said to have been taken by the fairies as his mother for three days. And his stepmother was also a wise woman, both of which were named Bridget. He marries a Bridget. It's a very common (laughs) name. Yeah. I assumed it was super common. Either that or the man was beset by synchronicities. Which I could mean, make that anybody a little possible. a little touchy. <laughs> um, and they actually got along pretty well for quite a while. Um, they were both extremely intelligent. Um, Bridget Cleary, knee. Yeah, I'm just gonna refer to her as Bridget Cleary now because I'm not gonna do the also known as Yeah, it is. It's um, oh, for Boland. Yeah. 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 Bridget Cleary Knee Boland. Um, was educated up until the ninth grade and was a top student at her school. Um, she learned seamstressing, and she's quite good at it by all accounts. She owned her own sewing machine. She had her own singer. Impressive. That's a lot of money for and back then. her husband was a successful cooper who built churns and 
barrels for the dairy factories and dairies around and also for a factory in Clonmel itself. Um, they were well off. She also had an egg business that she started at the cottage. She expanded it to two hen runs, which is a lot of hens actually for the time period. So they were quite comfortable and well off and there weren't really any rumors. So, and I say this because, you know, there's, it's really easy to go, oh, well, he was jealous of her or she didn't like, she was headstrong, but there weren't really that many rumors about them not getting along about things. They were a happy couple that were committed to trying to better their lives together. And about the only two things that were a bit odd was she wasn't pregnant after being married for eight years. And she liked to go to the fairy rafts. And Michael Cleary wasn't all about that. <laughs> and she especially went after her mother died. She would go up there in the hopes of hearing from her mother. So that's... It is theorized. That is the theory. There's going to be a lot of it is theorized in it, this episode. Yes. yes. Yeah, well, quite a few books have been written about her and her story and there's definitely a lot of theories um mm -hmm. that are out there some of them more interesting than others for sure yeah yeah and and i'll put books and and other uh, documentaries and and uh lore the the web bay the amazon streaming uh it used to be a podcast and then they did this multimedia video uh, animation, voiceover, actors, all this cool stuff the to tell all stuff. of these. Yeah, all the, the fancy, fancy cool stuff. stuff to tell these stories that happened in real life. Um, and the very, the very first season they get to Bridget Cleary, they called the episode Black Stockings. And uh, we can talk about that a little later because that's one of those, hey, I'm not so sure about their interpretations of any of that. But yeah, I have opinions. <laughs> yes, I do too. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, but near, near as anybody can tell, they were pretty cool, you know, except her mother died. And then um, her father was was in the cottage with them. And that was it. There was just three people in the household. And she went one day to take a delivery of eggs. And she got stuck out in a sleet storm or a rainstorm. It was cold. It was terrible. And she was out there for a long time. And she came back with her clothes soaked and she was chilled. And then the next morning she woke up and she was sick. Yeah. This is totally not surprising at all <laughs> to me anyway. Yeah. That winter in 1895 was actually one of the coldest on record um, up to that point. I'm sure they've had colder since I, I'm not up on the, through the 21st century Irish weather <laughs> records, but at the time in 1895, it was one of the coldest winters they'd ever had um, and even into March, which normally March in Ireland is um, reasonably uh, fair weather, we would say, but um, at the time it was still uh, fairly cold. There was very delayed planting season that year, all sorts of stuff. So just for perspective for people. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, her getting a chill was unusual at that time of year, but the weather was unusual that particular year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she, you know, she stayed in bed for, for a day and they treated it like a normal illness at first. They, they thought it was a normal illness. Her husband went to talk to the doctor and bring the doctor back. Now, in one of the books I read, the doctor was a drunkard, but I don't know if that was actually the case. I'd be a little skeptical. I know. I didn't think that was actually the case, but he did not just show up when he was asked. He did send some medicine with Michael, um, but she apparently had a cough. She had a fever. She was very pale. She was sweaty. I mean, all the things that you have when you have the flu or bronchitis or, or whatever, you know. I, a lot of the accounts um, say that she was diagnosed with bronchitis when the doctor did yes. finally get out to see her. I've always... Which was a long time. Yeah, it took it took almost a week, I think, from when she actually fell mm -hmm. ill. Um, I've always personally thought the symptoms had a lot like pneumonia. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I personally, personal theory time, I personally think she probably had pneumonia, um, which makes sense. If even it had started out as bronchitis, it might have gone into that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's just it's just a few inches down from the bronchial tubes into the lungs to become pneumonia. And well, and if you make all sorts for, of uglies for the because it was almost a week until the doctor finally came to see her. So if you've been ill for all that time with no medicine, like with bad bronchitis, like it could very easily turn into pneumonia. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like still happens today. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh she wasn't eating well, obviously. And um her aunt and cousin had been coming, aunt and female cousin, and the cousin's daughter had been coming and kind of you know, taking care of the chores that she would normally do that and would taking be care of her. Aunt Mary and cousin Joanna. Yes. And then okay. Joanna's daughter, Kate or Katie. And uh, there's a lot it, of relatives, guys. I'm sorry. So yeah. many relatives. But most of the people and, involved were her family. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Or, Michael Cleary didn't actually have family in that town at all. So. It was when when we get to the scarier part of this, you're going to think, well, you know, it was him and his family against her and her family. And no, that's not actually how it worked. Um, it was him and then her, her family. family. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an interesting bit that 21st century people might get kind of confused by, I would think. Um, but she she didn't get better. She, she stayed sick and that's when things started to go sideways and the fairy doctor person shows up and makes some diagnoses. Yes. Yeah. This is Michael Cleary had begun getting more and more nervous about her going to the Raths throughout their relationship according to neighbors and friends and depositions. Because he was, I think, is a quite sensible man who had had 
you know, exposure to fairy stories and exposure to this lore was like, yeah, you don't go poke it. Please stop yeah. poking it. And especially with all the rumors around his mother. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be a little concerned about the fairies being likely to touch my life again if they've already done it once with one of my female people I hold very dear. I would not want my wife to go and risk herself. But he and he did get to a point of forbidding her to go that last time. And she ignored him and went anyway, because by several accounts, she was quite independent and somewhat headstrong. It um, was also on her route, like her. The, it was also on her egg route. Yeah, the way she was walking um, the day she got caught in the, the storm or, or what have you. Um, she walked direct because that was part of what then starts some of the changing rumors was that the last place mm -hmm. she went <laughs> before all this started was walking directly by um, Kilinagara, I think his name, Kilinagrana, yep. mm -hmm. um, was the particular fairy hill. So, yeah, that's not going to help. No, no, it did not help. Um, and this, this was just a wonderful tidbit I discovered while I was reading about this. Um, there was a story about Bridget um, being outside her house with her dog, straining potatoes from boiled water, because she had just been done boiling potatoes, when one of the two fathers of the church in town, Father Michael McGrath, was passing by um, her house on his horse when her dog ran after his horse. And he told her, hey, call your dog off, please. And she cursed at him and <laughs> threw her pot of water, threw the water at him. And oh, he, boy. he said that um, she would be cursed to die a violent death by fire for impertinence. This is probably a very, very embroidered tale. Yeah, very I apocryphal, that's, that's, I would guess. Yeah, a little what we call retconning. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel very strongly that it's retconning, but I also just thought that was such a delicious little tidbit yeah. of rumor and things from her village that I just had to pop it in there. Oh, yeah. yeah and there's so much that's grown up around the story um, since the actual yeah. incident happened, for sure. Yeah. Um, so... Morgana, you, you want to talk about the fairy doctor and what he decided yeah, was sure. happening? Um, the fairy doctor was John Donne, not, not the, not the, the John, poet, not the poet, <laughs> different person, um, different person. <laughs> yeah. He was the, he was Michael's best man at their wedding. Um, and he came to visit and said, look, this looks a lot like she's been taken sick because the fairies have struck her with fairy sickness or she's a changeling. I think that we, doesn't look like our Bridget down that's, there. That's not good. And after this, Michael Cleary's like, yeah, I've noticed she's two inches taller and she has a very regal look about her and she just doesn't look like my Bridget. And the wheels of, oh my God, this is a changeling began to turn, I think, at this point. <laughs> yeah. And and you would think that her father or her aunt or her cousin or her boy cousins, you know, would have maybe said, I don't know about that. She doesn't really look any taller. I, 
I don't know. She doesn't look any. I mean, she looks sick. Yeah, I was gonna say she. That isn't. She might not look yeah. taller, but I'm sure because she'd been sick at that point for a week. Um, they'd had the priest came out and he did last rites. So I mean, clearly it was. And she yeah. went on for like a week after the last rites, just for the record. But yes. you know, clearly she was seriously ill, and I can kind of see how just the being that ill would make her look different to a degree mm-hmm. oh, yeah i'm sure she was acting different because of the illness and that's unfortunately that kind of puts you right into changeling folklore territory um very yeah, unfortunately she, for she, her she had a very high fever um and would was supposedly saying things like oh i i see the the police at the window or whatever you know possibly because she was hallucinating um and uh, of course, they'd look at the window, and there was no one there. And uh, she she was more pale, I would suspect, with you know probably red cheeks. I, you know, I'm trying to imagine what a regal bearing would look like in this. <laughs> I know what I look like when I'm sick, and it's not very darn regal. But we'll we'll let that slide. <laughs> we'll just let that go. Let it go. <laughs> um, but she was really really bad off. And so Michael asked John, what, what, what should we do? And he told him to go to another fairy doctor and get medicine from him. And so Michael had already gone to try to get the, the medical doctor twice. And he had brought back medicine for her, which she did take for a little bit. Um, but it didn't seem to be doing any good. So then he goes to the other fairy doctor at the other village and he comes back and he has herbs in a bag and he has instructions and then, okay, we're going to get to the, the kind of uglier part of the story at this point. Um, so they, they have to boil, they have to boil the herbs first in bee stings, which is the first milk of a cow that's given birth. So it's colostrum. And that is supposedly sacred to fairies. Um, And they they really like it. So they were going to boil it in that, but they also then later added urine to it. um, Because anything that's that's bodily function related considered foul or nasty is something that you can use to get rid of fairies because they're, they don't like that. She also had the urine splashed on her at some point. Yeah. 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 But she was supposed to be made to drink this mixture. And she, by this point in, in what I read, the, the two accounts I read had started to, at least be more in her mind. Like she could recognize what was going on to some extent. And of course she fought drinking this awful stuff and, you know, they, they held her down and she was thrashing around and kicking and biting and fighting because they were basically putting noxious hot liquid down her throat. They were forcing her mouth open and it was horrible. There were like four men holding her down. Yeah, there's this a cat where her, just- one of her cousin who testified at the trial, um, testified at the trial that he walked in at one point and there were 
um, four people holding her down and one person laying across her legs as Michael was trying yeah. to do this. Again, getting into the, this was not just Michael by himself. No, right. This was right. not. And these were all her relatives. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, there were neighbors who had come in and dropped in and dropped out during this whole ordeal. There were people in the town who knew that this, this was going on. Um, and she did speak to her cousin Joanna at one point after the first dosing of the nasty medicine before the, the urine incident came about. And she said, I'm afraid Michael's trying to make me a fairy. And this wouldn't happen if my mother was here. So in parsing out what she means, since her mother was essentially a fairy doctor herself, she would have diagnosed it differently, I think is what she meant. That, you know, and it, this wouldn't be happening if she was here. It's hard to say if that's actually true. Um, exactly. It could have been what Bridget believed. Yeah. Um, or it and, would have just been my mom would yell at all of you and protect me because, like, if you're sick and feverish and this terrible thing just happened, like, I don't know, I would be like, I wish my mom was here. Yeah. There's that, too. Yeah. Um, and her cousin Joanna said, oh, don't worry. You know, don't worry. It, it's it, nothing bad is going to happen. And she said, two months ago, he tried to make of me a fairy before. And so when you look at these facts, as Joanna later testified in court as to that conversation, as a 21st century person, you look at those and you get suspicious. I'm just putting it in there because 21st century people are going to get suspicious at at a lot of this. And uh, then she still didn't get better. And so they, 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 then they, you know, threw urine on her. They made her drink the, the potion that had both the milk and the urine, which just sounds beyond vile. And of course she threw it up. I mean, how could she? She she was just sick. And uh, it was pretty violent, you know. And while they were doing this to her, they were screaming at her. Who are you? Tell us your name. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I can... Man, that just sounds like a recipe for making a person crazy, really. Yep, they were also feeding her buttered bread and after every bite she would have to they would ask her what's your name and she would have to say you know either i think she was answering bridget boland but she you know her name um because there was one time where she said it the first two times and then michael tried to give her the third bite and she wouldn't say it the third time um and her cousin had kind of testified that he got very agitated (laughs) michael got very agitated when she refused to say it the third time so Yeah. And so she's, you know, she's answered her name a few times. She said, it's Bridget Boland by the grace of God, Bridget Boland in the name of God, you know? So she wasn't, you know, totally out there in her answers. She was essentially giving them what they wanted, even if she, you know, and she was, you know, just coated in all of this nastiness. Um, So there, there was one day, the last day is when she woke up. And she was better. That was after the 
throwing of the the urine and the making her drink the urine and everything she the fever broke mostly and she was able to get up and so michael said get up and get dressed and and come out from the room and the neighbors are here and so, so you know you had the whole town basically you know <laughs> it's, it's, a it's a little village and so you have all these people in this little kitchen and they're all looking and waiting because this thing has been going on for days and days and I have this feeling that it's been the talk of the entire village all this time. And she comes out, they, her cousin helped her get dressed. I hope they washed her off. Before oh, I'm sure, they I'm sure they did. I, I, you know, that's not mentioned, but you know, and they put her in full clothes, you know, like all the, all the things, a jacket, a skirt, an underskirt, a shift and stockings and shoes. And I think some kind of a belt thing. It was because they listed everything. Her cousin listed it in <coughs> her court testimony. And so she comes out in, you know, nice looking clothes. She apparently dressed really nicely because she was a seamstress. And that was mentioned in every account I read. Mm -hmm. So she comes out in nice clothes and she sits at the kitchen table. And her cousins, I'll make tea. And so she goes to make tea and her husband brings the bread again and says, you can have tea after you eat this, eat the bread and tell me who you are. So without her mouth being moistened at all, he gives her this bread and says, tell me your name. And she takes a bite of it and she chews it up. And she swallows it and she said, my name's Bridget. I can't remember if she said Bolin or Cleary at that point, but she gave her full name and she had problems swallowing the bread. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine why she's had a spoon shoved down her mouth, you know, <laughs> into her mouth over and over repeatedly for a couple days. So he gets the second piece down her and she takes it. And then the third one, she begs for tea or water, she begs for tea to get it down and she chokes mm -hmm. and he starts shoving it down her throat. This is when we get into the violence and the creepiness. And this is also her father's asleep in the other bedroom in the cottage. Her, her female cousin is there. The daughter is there. Um, I'm trying to remember if her aunt was actually there at that time. I don't think so. I don't think she was. I think it was the two cousins and then the boy cousins. Yeah, there were like and four or possibly, five of them. Yeah, yeah there's, there, there, there's four... a whole bunch of them. And I think John Dunn was there. Yes. And she could not get that one down. And John said, put her in the fire. And so they carry her over struggling. And they don't put her in the fire, but they kind of hold her near the fire, close to the fire. And she doesn't catch fire then, but she's, you know, she's singed and, you know, her skin turns red and they take her out and they try to get her to say her name again. And at this point, I think she's probably just had it. And she, she just, I can't remember what she said. She said something to the effect of, you're trying to make me a fairy like your mother, like your mother who went away with the fairies and he lost his damn mind. 
I think. Um, but at one point after this back and forth about the fire, he just strips her of her clothes down to her shift and her stockings and he carries her over to the fire. She tries to get away, he strikes her and he pours oil from the kerosene can on her and tips a candle at her and she goes up in flames. Now there's two different accounts as to whether she was awake and aware. Um, one person said that when she fell, she struck her head on the hearth and was still as death. So she, they said that she was not awake, but another account came out that she was awake and alive. I think that was probably made up though later by journalists who were trying to make a political point about Irish people, which we'll get to in a minute. I don't think she was actually kicking, screaming, flailing, but that's me. Yeah. Now her cousin said she thought that she was, she was deceased before the fire happened. Yeah. Um, so she's on fire and apparently there was, uh, some terror and fear on the parts of the cousins and they tried to, to intervene, but he had a knife and he threatened them. And so they couldn't do anything. Um, but a lot was made of that later in the court case as to why there were so many people in the house standing there while she's on fire. Um, so that is how she died. There was also, but that's not the end. Yeah, There was also a point <laughs> during the whole process of that where um, they were heating up an iron in the fire because uh, one of her cousins right. noted that she had a burn mark on her forehead from that. Um, and I will say just a little note as we continue on with this, that both of those things, the heating the iron and then holding someone close to a fire actually are traditional ways to get rid of a changeling, not mm -hmm. through murder intentionally, but to drive them away. So yeah, the fear of yeah, the fire, the threat and the of, pain. of the fire yeah, and the iron. Yes. So just to be clear for, for why some of this was happening, um, to put it in context for the listeners, because <laughs> um, it sounds horrific and it is horrific, and I don't want to under you know emphasize that part. But um, it wasn't like he just randomly no. said, "Bring her over by the fire," um, or decided to set her on fire. Um, unfortunately, that was sort of a traditional how to get rid of changelings thing to do. So yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be a threat. Yeah. Not not an actually immolation. No. Throw the oil. At at that point I kind of think he sort of just snapped and yeah. It was I don't think he thought of it. I don't think he did. I mean I'm not making I'm not making him <laughs> out to be some kind of hero here, right. mind you. I think it's terrible. I was um, I was just gonna say I am not in any way a Michael Cleary <laughs> apologist, but I do think we also have to keep in mind that for the entire time that Bridget was going through this, Michael Cleary was also going through this on the other end. Mm -hmm. And I suspect at this point, you know, quite a ways into her illness um, and, uh, you know, a good amount of time into the, we think she's a changeling part of the story. Um, I suspect that he probably was um, enormously stressed and probably not really very rational 
I guess I'll say. I no. agree. Which is not an excuse for what happened or no. what he did. But no, we have no, to keep that just, in mind. For like two weeks, he's been fighting to get his wife back, essentially, as far as he's concerned. And as far as her entire family is concerned and reinforcing this belief that he has. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's a feedback of belief. Like everybody concerned in this incident is like, she's a changeling. This is how we get her back. We're yeah. just going to keep trying. Yeah. Okay. And then it just, it just spiraled out of control at the very end because I think he was like, fine then to hell with you. <laughs> Give me my wife back. Which is yeah, where we get I mean, into it does not end with her death. No, no. And her father near, I think it was the either the next to the last day of her life or the right before the fire setting, she had appealed to him and she was like, Father, I'm 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 yours. I'm your daughter. I'm Bridget Bolin. And he said, You're not my Bridget. Yeah. So even her father at that point was like, you're not who you appear to be. You're not, you're not really her. That had to have been just horrible. Um, So yeah, it doesn't end with her death. So let's see kind of what happened after she died and was burned. And after the fire went out, I'll handle body disposal. Um. We'll leave it to the <laughs> to the one whose boyfriend works at a funeral home. Um, they, I do not remember which two. I know it was Michael and someone else I took it was her. Patrick Kennedy. Patrick. I think it was Patrick Kennedy too. We all remember it as the same name, so okay. I'm going to say it was Patrick took her and buried her amongst a bunch of thorn bushes, which I find appropriate since thorns and fairies are frequently associated with each other. And Joanna... And there was a plan. And there, there was a plan. I'm going to let you get there. All right. Um, and Joanna told everyone that she had run out of the house screaming and they hadn't heard from her since. Yeah. And that was the plan. <laughs> and then did not Michael had a plan. No, it did no, not last for very long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Michael had a plan that he was going to go in, what, a day or two days to the fairy wrath and wait with a black-handled knife, and she would come out of the hill on a white horse, and he would pull her off of the horse. And I don't remember what he was supposed to do with the knife. I don't remember if it was he's supposed to stab the horse or cut her off of the reins or whatever, but something had to do with the black knife and he was going to pull her off. And he was very, very forceful about what he was going to do. And his friend John had said, yes, that'll work. And he was going to do it. Now he went to the, the fairy hill of um, Kilinagrana three nights in a row on the first night he brought a gun. So, you know, there's that. Um, Not the second two nights. I believe the, third night might have been right around when he was arrested but we haven't gotten to that part of the story yet but he did no. he did in fact go and spend three three consecutive nights um at this fairy fairy hill uh waiting to rescue her so right and this is this is a part 
that you don't get from the lore episode at all. Mm -hmm. You don't really get any of the aftermath. You just have the horror of her death. And then the episode goes on to Annie Oakley, which I don't even know what that had to do with anything. Bit of an odd segue. <laughs> I was like, okay, that has nothing to do with anything. And, and why, I don't know. But you don't get the feeling that Michael actually believed in fairies in that episode because they don't show him going three nights and spending the whole night out in the cold waiting yeah to sure that he her. was gonna find her yeah yeah he was sure he was very adamant mm -hmm. even in the trial that mm -hmm. she was with the fairies like he was still convinced that that's where she actually was you also yes. don't get to see him and john dunn going to the church and dragon because he wants to confess yes and he's distraught he is completely and totally distraught this is after he's waited for her and she hasn't come back and he is distraught and the uh, priests wouldn't hear his confession and just kind of sent him home probably because they're like we, we know you murdered your wife and we don't really want to have anything to do with this well the thing is is if you tell a catholic priest what you've done and, it, and it's a crime they're then stuck between church and state the state says you should tell us and the church says no confession is inviolate you can't tell i wouldn't want to be a priest in that set I'm not sort of circumstance i'm not sure how that would have worked in 1895 right i think it was a gray area at that point i think it was just so they they mm. didn't hear his confession um and it was it was uh john who who got him to give himself up and he was arrested. Yeah, the rumors started very quickly. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yes. So, yeah. The they didn't keep did not take long. They didn't keep to their story really very well. They, they didn't, you know, they didn't keep everything together. Oh, she ran out screaming um, into the night. You know, they, they, there were too many people. Um, it had to be a very traumatic thing for her relatives to go through and then to oh witness the actual death. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that was hard for them to, to stay silent yeah. about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so once the police were involved in it, once they, the, a confession had been made of some sort, they arrested the whole bloody lot of them. They just went in and all of them, just almost her whole entire family, pretty much most of the village, they just rounded them up and walked them through town. And apparently all of the townsfolk who were also Irish were standing outside of their houses along the streets and were booing and hissing at them for this because it had gotten out beyond their village. The story had gone out and around. So then they were in jail, and that's when the trial began. And that's a complete other... This is when we get into politics. <laughs> so yeah. this is at the same time period as the Irish nationalists were pushing for home rule. Yeah, it's important which meant, for people to understand that Ireland was a British colony when all of this yeah. was happening. 
Yeah, absolutely. A, a terribly treated British colony that had been left to suffer for years and years and years and years and years with absolutely no regard for human life or just any care really at all for the people of Ireland. Like they let the, they let the potato famine happen on purpose, basically. Yeah. And well, and the potato didn't... famine wasn't that, that long before this. I mean, it was like 15 no, years. No, it wasn't. But, I mean, that's yeah. not that long. No, it, it, it just, they didn't really help with, economic recovery afterwards no everything else that the irish grew had to go to england because the landlords were english so they owned the crops so that's why people starved they let them starve they just among other just bad just bad every cliche you think about like with victorian workhouses and mistreatment of poor people and like they did that yeah it was not a nice it was not a it was kind colonial without situation at you know all. Going i'm not sure there overboard. is such a thing as a kind colonial i don't think situation. so no there's no. not but th i feel like there's degrees yeah. of bad of terrible yeah. <laughs> this like, is on when the, we were you know, when we were british colonists it wasn't that terrible in a lot of ways yeah. like for us we were a lot further away we were so yeah. much further away yeah 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 we could um, we could s s stay across an ocean and thumb our noses at them and you know that kind of stuff but the irish didn't have that no there's just a little tiny sea between them little little bit and uh yeah there is no good colonialism but this was particularly horrible so the people of Ireland, the, you know, upper echelons and the political class were all, you know, pushing and shoving for uh, independence. They wanted to be free of English rule, whereas the judges that are, you know, sitting on the bench have this idea that the reason that this happened is because the Irish would not submit to English law. And the reason the judges had this opinion is because the judges were put in place by the crown. Crown. Sorry. It's also probably and important for, for the wider context here to keep in mind that the, um, the Irish, basically the war for independence happened about 21 years after this. So it's, yes. it's definitely occurring in like a really tumultuous political mm -hmm. time period um just for the context for everyone listening to this who is not like up on irish history uh 1895 and that whole time there yeah. was a lot we going haven't, on we haven't had the uprising yet yeah. so it's it's, we it's did simmering have, and stewing and I, boiling because yes. i was going to say we did have gangs essentially mm -hmm. and bands of rebellion Mm -hmm. That would go against the landlords in the night. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were multiple different uprisings <laughs> and attempts at, mm -hmm. you know, overthrowing the yeah. English over the, the centuries. Um, but the, the 1916 one was really where independent yeah, that got was going. Where it really happened. Yeah. yeah. So this is about 21 so years that before that. So, so the English and the unionist newspapers and the newspapers in London used this particular case, the shocking details of which are, 
you know, we've just gone over it. It's terrible. Um, and uh, basically used it to say that the, the Irish were savages. They were uncouth, unwashed, um, not civilized, terrible people. Overly superstitious. Overly superstitious. Not e barely Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, just, Catholics, just, you know. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, they, I, <laughs> not that was a joke, by the way, for everyone listening to this before, like, everyone <laughs> hates me. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. That the was, Anglicans th really weren't kind about Catholics. No. So nope. you're not wrong. Nope. It was a perfectly no. appropriate... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yes. I just realized yes. that after I said it, I'm like, this could, this might not read very well for the audience. <laughs> like, just because they can't see the faces. Yeah, just to be clear. Yeah. So, yeah. So they just, they just beat this drum, and they went so far as to say, it, as I said before, when, before we started this. It's, it's like they decided to try to show how racist and horrible they could be without coming out and saying, we're terrible racist people. They said that, that such savagery as was seen in this case, in the burning of this innocent woman, is the same type of savagery you see in darkest of Africa among the tribes people. Now, that's just offensive. Every which way you look at it, doesn't matter how you look at it, it's terrible. But that's the kind of propaganda that this case turned into yeah, it was, for the English. Yeah, it was 100% used for propaganda. And it was, it was occurring at a time, because of all the stuff that you just mentioned, where there really was a lot of emphasis on the Irish being very primitive and backwards and superstitious. Um, you know, it's actually kind of amusing in an ironic not actually funny sort of way that today we tend to really think of Ireland as this like magical place with all of this great folklore and stories but part of the reason we think that today is because the English really had a strong propaganda department going to convince everyone that Ireland was in fact very superstitious and backwards and had all these beliefs that of course no rational civilized Victorian era people would would have yes um, and that that actually still is a thing that exists today that people do believe that's that Ireland is this extra magical place um, but it's rooted in that propaganda mm -hmm. pretty much we can like, except so now we look at it and there's so many things at the feet of the Victorians we could do an entire <laughs> two-hour show just about the various things that the the Victorian era um, particularly the elite Victorian era in the U.S. and England screwed up for yeah. all of us. <laughs> yes, yes, because it does still trickle down today. Oh, it, yes. Large chunks of our society was built. The foundations were built by those people. So there we go. That's that's part of what happened. So the judge in his one of his first statements was just appalled by everything. And I'm going to see if I can find what he said. Uh, let's see. Nope. Yeah. I took notes in my book. That's okay. I think we did slightly skip over. So they were all arrested and then some of them yeah. were released, but a lot of them, I think it was nine altogether were put yes. on trial. 
So yes. there was a big trial. It was in all the newspapers because, again, propaganda. Uh, and not just the Irish newspapers. It was, like you said, they talked about it in London. It was kind of all it over the place. It was even here. In yeah, the I was about States. to say there. Yeah, I, yeah. I dug up an article. It was not it barely an article. Like it was back in the Victorian era, you would have like the tiny, tiny, like what you see now, what we have in Twitter now is the Twitter headline news. Yep. You would have like just whole columns of just okay. like short little snippets that there yep. was one in the sh in a Chicago newspaper. Yeah. Late 19th century newspapers are a trip. They really they are. They are bizarre. And they're not actually reporting. It's more like no. creative storytelling. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's very much creative storytelling and just... So creative. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, it's... like, this is a little off topic, but as you're looking for that quote... Um, people will certainly see that that headline from when the Titanic sank, which was uh, 1912, yes. I think. And they act like it's like this ridiculous, like it's not real because there's all these exclamation points. And it's like, it's not even really an article. Yeah. It's just like Titanic sinks, all lives, you know, all these lives lost, epic tragedy, you know. And like, no, that's what newspapers are actually that's like. That's what they then. were like. Yeah, yep. That, that's, yep. That's real. Okay. It's here's very real. Here's Justice O'Brien. Um, Cleary's sentence when it came was not lenient, but rather such as would express the degree to which the judge believed him guilty. Mr. Justice O'Brien was by no means convinced that all of the talk of fairies was not a cloak for ordinary murder. He had judged the case on the evidence brought before him, however, and found, in short, that Michael Cleary had burned his life his wife alive before pronouncing sentence amid a scene of painful silence in court the judge indulged in a last romantic and chivalrous reverie on the dead bridget cleary as a bride he then goes on and on for many 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 paragraphs but he basically said that he said to Michael Cleary, your wicked hand sent her to another world in the very prime of her life. The young woman confided to you her affections and her love, and you most wantonly and cruelly and bitterly betrayed her. So the judge was not happy. Now, yeah, the judge was having none did, of it. <laughs> he, he did reduce the, reduce the charge to manslaughter. He got, but, he got 20 years for it, though. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, hard labor. He didn't. Which, again, like, yes. this is not what we think of today when you think 20 years in jail. Like, hard labor meant hard labor. You were a stonecutter. Yeah. yeah. You or were you worked digging in a mine. Ditches, yeah. Or you're a miner. Yeah, that was terrible. It was just, it was not. It was back. We could talk about it prison. Was, it was the there too. to hopefully, it was really hard labor was a possible death sentence. Yeah. Well, and we're getting back into this whole why Calvinism also yeah. messed some stuff up. Um, yes. If you make them work really hard, maybe they'll, you know, come they'll to become they'll get God. Yep. They'll get morals somehow. Jesus will talk to them or something. Hard, hard work leads to better morality thank you calvinism and lutheranism and the early modern era yeah y'all y'all just really oh <laughs> and and the whole 
was was it a witch burning or not because you know there there it it even at the time some of the headlines said the the a witch burning in Ireland you know some of those giant headlines and stuff the the judge said it it had nothing to do with witchcraft or fairies yeah. that it was a simple case of manslaughter yeah you'll see headlines the, too saying it was the last changeling killed in Ireland mm-hmm. things like that yeah so the other eight people by the way were also convicted but of much less serious things than michael and they spent way less time in jail yeah the women were not sent to prison no um joanna basically became state's witness Mm -hmm. the cousin joanna and her daughter katie apparently was so quiet and observant and uh clinical in her detail when she gave testimony it actually the the newspapers went on about that you know even though she was 10 years old she comported herself with dignity and gave really you know amazing testimony you know they were acting like again these people were dirt dirt poor hideous nasty people, these savages who don't know how to talk right, you know? (laughs) And unfortunately, that's that's another aspect of the propaganda that is still with us today. Because a lot of people, when they do talk about Bridget Cleary, if they know anything about it, they do tend to act like, you know, uh, Michael was not educated. Um, I've actually heard someone who is in academia and honestly should know better, who basically said that Michael was just not very intelligent. And that there was like he had a mental um, issue going on, um, not clinically diagnosable sort of a thing, but like he was uh, um, slow, not diagnostically, how? but I'm not sure how to phrase that. And I don't want to use the right. words that he used. Um, yeah, because that's yeah, yeah we're not doing that. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> but my point is like you know this this idea that kind of got built into this propaganda that these people were you know, not intelligent and just overly superstitious and all of this other stuff. I mean, we can argue the overly superstitious part um, and, you know, we'll get to that. But um, all of that anti-Irish propaganda that kind of got tied up into it, you do still see that today with how some people approach this this whole story. Um, you know, the idea that Michael just didn't like his wife and yeah. that, you know, this was just a, a cover for something a lot of that is rooted though in this you know not being aware that they actually were a fairly happy couple by most accounts yeah. mm-hmm. up until she got sick yeah yes yes um so why why did it happen is the question that i think most modern people looking back at it and go to academics have come up with some interesting answers to why did it happen? Yeah, go um, go for interesting it. with quotation marks. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Air like quotes yes. that she was having an affair with a man who attempted suicide not long after she was dead. There is no further connection between that those two people that I have discovered other than I have found nothing he committed suicide after she was dead and it was known that she was dead and he was an egg seller 
and she may have delivered eggs to him. And he lived beyond the wraths. So she may have been surreptitiously visiting him. And I'm like, what is this may? Yeah, it's a lot of supposition. Yeah, there's a lot of if. coming. There is a lot of if coming off this plan. Um, there is that she had tuberculosis. And that was what she was ill with. And the family used the changeling th- theory to hide it. I'm like, okay. I, I, be- I can believe to some extent that perhaps tuberculosis carried a stigma. I don't think it carried enough of a stigma to burn your wife alive. Or your daughter. It's his cousin, niece. It just doesn't, that doesn't wash. That, that to me is, it's, is a little bit crazy. Right? It's a bit much. And I wonder, and then there, of course, is the, well, Michael Cleary was just jealous of her income and her independence. Except there's really no indications of that. And I wonder if it's not just a bit of academic discomfort with admitting, hey, people thought fairies were real. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing about academia. <laughs> and mind you, I I love it. Um I I'm constantly, you know, lurking around the fringes <laughs> as it were. Um but there there definitely was a strong movement starting in the 1990s um with, in folklore in a lot of corners of folklore, I should say. Not going to paint all folklorists with the same brush, but to sort of rationalize everything if if a folk belief exists there must be some rational explanation for why people believe this so you know if people believe that um there's a fairy in a river that might drown you if you're not careful then you know what is the rational logical explanation for this and they try to find it and i really do think that this is what gets us into this problem which is exactly what you just said morgana of not acknowledging that you have to look at these beliefs in the context of people actually believed them, do still believe them, which is a whole separate conversation. But, you know, when we're talking about Michael Clary, when we're talking about Bridges family, these are people who really had a genuine belief that these beings existed. They lived fairly near a fairy hill, which tends to you know make people a little more willing to believe this maybe than in other places and that it was possible for these things to happen you know as as you both said as we were starting this conversation you know michael's mother there were rumors that she had a connection to the fairies that she had been taken by the fairies at some point bridget's mother there were you know rumors around her you know potentially being a wise woman or someone who was knowledgeable about this michael's one of his best friends apparently, you know, was this person who was a, a fairy doctor, was knowledgeable about fairies. So this this was a belief that was very strongly around this whole group of people. And it's sort of one of those things where once you tip it into the possibility, once you raise that specter that maybe Bridget is a changeling, it's not that the people are approaching it the way we would in the 21st century, even to them, it's this very real, very tangible thing to be afraid of. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's a genuine risk. Um, like you said, why did Michael go for three nights trying to save her after he had killed her? Because he truly believed. Does it justify what he did? No. no. But, you know, he, he genuinely believed that that was not his wife, that she had been replaced in some way. And I mean, that is I terrifying. Mean, yeah. Also, even the judge charged him with manslaughter in the end. Yeah. Because of those beliefs. Yeah. Like, so if a cranky Victorian English era judge. judge who doesn't believe in any of this nonsense, please, can be like, okay, I can see that you at least believe this. It does not excuse it. You You're still, still going to prison. Yeah, I shouldn't excuse it. You done fucked up, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder why that's so hard for us to do now. Maybe it's because I've been reading a lot of medieval things lately. And I guess I just don't understand why it would be so hard to go, well, he probably believed that she really was a changeling. Yeah. When you can go, oh, I completely understand why people became nuns. Well, yeah. yeah. Or why people went on crusade. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crusade is a great example because that is something you have to have a lot of very you strong have a lot of faith. Yeah. To go mm -hmm. and travel across the world on foot and in boats that you maybe have never even been in a boat before in places where you don't speak the language where you've never been. You've probably never been further than 50 miles from your house before in your life. But no, you're going to take up a sword and go fight the enemies of Christ because you believe in Jesus that hard. And the Pope said so. Yeah. And yeah. also the Pope is another whole it's a yeah. whole topic. Modern people, yeah. modern people have problem with understanding all that. I yeah. I think it gets into that ingrained desire to rationalize things. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we look at it like if today we heard a story of a man who um, murdered his wife and then said, I did it because she wasn't really my wife. You know, she was fa a fairy. One of two things would happen. He would either end up in a psychiatric ward and mm -hmm. diagnosed, you know, with something that would explain why he thought that was true. Or, which is the way a lot of modern audiences lean with the, the Bridget Cleary story, we would say this is just an excuse because he actually was abusive to her or, you know, he, he killed her out of a violent temper. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's just using this to try to get out of the punishment for it. And I think it's very difficult for us to put that mindset aside. Yeah. And be mm -hmm. like, no, this, you know, I, I can kind of understand it more because I've read so many of these accounts um, and, you know, most of them, again, are with children, but even the ones that deal with adults, this, the idea that you have to believe so completely. Um, I honestly, the only modern thing I can equate it to, which I realize people are not going to necessarily have a lot of empathetic connection to either, is like faith healers, like people that go to those, mm -hmm. those Christian churches and believe yeah. that if you pray hard enough, you'll, you'll get up and walk or, or be able to see or whatever. Right. But it's that same level of belief, that same like, you know, I am going to do something even though it, it's, you know, holding rattlesnakes or whatever. 
because I truly believe that this is the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, I'm going to go back to uh, the lore episode because it begins with something that is related to this. It starts out not with Bridget Cleary, but it starts out with a recent story uh, about the 2009 murder of Caroline Coffey mm -hmm. and the resulting trial. And it was the people of the state of New York versus Blasage K. Cott, J. Cott. In this case, Cott was convicted of murdering his wife. In the trial, his lawyers attempted to argue an insanity plea known as Capgrass syndrome, the irrational belief that a loved one has been replaced by an imposter, which is what Cott's lawyers argued he'd suffered from at the time of the murder. So in the, in the episode, they that's the first thing. They set the the story up with this example from modern times and uh it it didn't work um the the judge was basically like i i you know you may have that syndrome but i don't care yeah you still can't murder someone you still can't murder even if you honestly believed that she was someone else yeah. so which is the same thing I with think, bridget like you, you can't just because yeah. you make shit change and you can't kill her yeah yeah which I think is fairly rational and, you know, interesting that that judgment remains the same, even almost 130 years apart. What yeah. I think is fascinating with the, the Bridget Cleary case, which again is something everyone focuses on Michael and everyone focuses on her husband killed her because he is the one who actually set her on fire. So that is fair. Mm -hmm. But there were eight other people mm -hmm. who went to yeah. on trial with him who were convicted. Uh, you yeah. know, of various degrees, but you know, he did not do this alone. It was not no. like, you know, to me, the idea that this was domestic abuse or that this was just sort of um, violent murder te from temper or that she was cheating and he got so angry that he killed her kind of falls apart when you consider this went on for days and days and days and her entire family was involved. Was in on it. Yeah. And they, they were a loving family. Yes. And they were tr administering what they thought was a cure. You know, they, they really believed those herbs would bring back the real Bridget. They really yeah. believed that the things that they were doing, even the hot iron, you know, from the fire, as horrific as that is, you know, never mind the actual killing her part. But they really believed that those things, you know, this whole group of people that was in and out of that house believed that these things were necessary to help yes. her. And I do think we have some contemporary equivalents to that, but they're all equally horrific so yeah. yeah it's 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 where you get into people who won't take their children to a, a doctor because they believe in uh healing by faith yeah. or and so they pray or whatever and they starve their kids to yeah. death or the, the cases of people who die during exorcisms yep. yeah you know there, yeah. there was one of those not too long ago um that made the news and it's it's the, like you so genuinely believe that you're mm -hmm. doing the right thing to save this person and you actually end up killing them and you deserve obviously to be punished for that. But I think we have to understand that context. Yeah. Yes. And, and people do want to know, you know, even so that I, I, what I've seen a lot of people say is, you know, those were her family. How could they do that? How could they believe that? And, I just kind of 
Well, there's there's a couple of things. Um, it's like folia de, except it's folia a dies. It, it's ten people instead of two, and that's a case where you have two people who are supporting each other in a belief, in a story, in a delusion. Yeah, in a delusion, and they get so wrapped up in it that they feed off of each other. The ideas and the emotions, it all gets stirred up and churned. Now, you have to also remember there is no TV, there is no radio, there is no, you know, there's books, but that's, you know, what you had were storytellers. And what you had for entertainment was books, newspapers, and storytellers. That's pretty much what you had. And the storytellers told stories about these powerful beings that lived alongside of them and the things that they did. And not only was uh, John Dunn a, a fairy doctor, he was a very a well-respected storyteller. But still not the poet. So, But still no, not the poet. Still not the poet. Still not. I yeah. love that that's his name, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, from mm -hmm. a synchronistic point of view, I love that the yes. the yeah. guy who gets everybody convinced to do things and is, like, also the best man. I'm like, okay, you're John Tun. This is fine. Yep. I'm, I'm rolling that's with it. That's pretty cool. But, yeah, <laughs> I think people, once it started, I think that their beliefs were just fed upon each other yeah. and it their emotions bounced back and forth on each other in some ways it's a lot like the salem witch trials which are yes. another thing that modern scholars are constantly coming up with air quotes interesting theories to try to explain but right. no one really knows why the hysteria became what it was or got to the degree that it did um because people it, believed in freaking witches yeah yeah people believed in witches <laughs> And, and that they were powerful. Yeah. And, then, and that, you know, you start to have yeah. this, this reinforcing community belief that that's actually a mm -hmm. problem in their community and that it's a real threat and that these people, including, you know, an 18 year, an 89 year old woman who was much loved throughout the community deserve to be hanged for it. Yep. You know, yep. and the, the example I think of in my life and in the way that I actually started to, understand it when i was in high school the last church that i went to was a very small pentecostal evangelical non-denominational scary church and they believed that satan and demons were everywhere and were following them around and terrible things were happening and they believed in spiritual warfare which is where you pray against demons and you you have angels on your side. And what I saw was a bunch of people doing the same thing that happened in Salem where somebody would start speaking in tongues and, and sometimes it would be the Holy spirit making them speak in tongues, but sometimes it would be a demon and only certain people could figure out what was what. And, but there was a lot of drama. Yeah. There was a lot of emotional discharge coming out of it, and it was like catharsis. I think that was part of what was happening with the people in that situation as well. And unfortunately, 
a woman died because of it. You know, nobody died in that church. I, I did leave that you're the day. aware of. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did leave the day they decided I had some demons because I, I believed in the Equal Rights Amendment. And yeah, so me and my best friend left and uh, they, you know, we were like, oh, nope, not going to heal us. Bye. Yep. Talk to you later. Yep. Um, and I never went to church after that. Um, I mean, oh well. Don't get me wrong. I I believe in the supernatural. Um, I do believe in fairies. I feel like I should be clapping like Peter Pan when I say that, but <laughs> I, I do believe in fairies. Um, you know, I do believe that there's more to this world than you know the the human perception necessarily. But but I do think that there is a line with all things. There there is a degree mm -hmm. of things that are plausible even if they're supernatural. And then there's a degree of things that gets us into that hysteria where mm -hmm. people are doing horrific things to other humans and justifying it with this usually fear-based belief. Yeah. You know, and those two things are that, yeah. different things. And that, I think I'm with you on that. I think that's the explanation really is that, you know, they believed it. And then once it started, it was this process that just got bigger and bigger and it, it couldn't stop. I honestly am not sure if anything would have resulted in a different outcome for her, given that throughout so much of that, she actually was doing the things they were asking her to do. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, minus the not wanting to drink the nasty medicine from the fairy doctor thing, but which we can't really blame her for that. Yeah. But yeah. But she I was... wouldn't want to drink pee either, <laughs> especially not if I had pneumonia. No. Um, but she was fairly compliant to a lot of it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when they would ask her, what's your name? She would repeat it, you know, and like you said, she would say, you know, Bridget Boland by the grace of God, you know, so she was clearly trying to, to convince them and to go along with what they were saying um, right up until the end, you know, when she's fully dressed and in the room the day she was feeling better. And like you said, he's, he's trying to, f to get her to eat this bread and she was trying, you know, she didn't refuse yeah. to do it. Um, yeah. In, in the autopsy, it, I didn't mention the state of her body. If you want to know, y'all can look it up. I am not describing it. It's, it's too, it's too terrible. Um, but when her body was found, part of why the judges were so, and the and the the newspaper reporters were so onto this whole "you're savages" thing was the state of her body when it was found. Um, but in the autopsy, they found that her throat, on the inside, had been lacerated probably with the spoon. And she had bruises around her neck. So it is possible that she literally could not swallow yeah. at that point by the end. Um, again, y'all, I'll leave, I'll leave, you know, in the show notes, places you can go to, to learn more, but I'm not describing that. That's too, I don't want to have nightmares. I, I think people can get the general idea, you know, from everything it was that bad. said. Yeah. It was yeah. it was days and days of this, you know, culminating eventually in her death. Um, but you know, 
like I said, it's it's clear that she was at least trying yeah, to do what they were saying was. and to, you know. To prove herself human. Yeah. Herself. Yeah. Human, yes. Uh, and I think that also is kind of a sort of a lesson to us how easy it is for a fellow human to be turned into the other. Yeah, to be dehumanized. And dehumanized. Yeah. Well, and that's why yeah, I said well, I don't think anything she did in the end um, would have gotten her a different outcome. No. Because they, they were all so thoroughly convinced. Yeah. They were and yeah, same in, in Salem. They were convinced that these women were witches, not human. And well, women and men. Thank you. I was like, don't forget him. Don't forget Giles Corey. Giles Corey I'm not gonna forget is a personal Giles hero Corey. of mine. I love him. <laughs> yes. Completely yes. inappropriate to insert into this particular episode. But just the fact that he was like, I refuse to plead because if I plead, whatever I plead, you're going to take all my property. So I'm just going to refuse to plead at all. And I'm yeah. going to refuse to name any other witches. More weight, bitch. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Just bring yep. on the stones. Get this over with faster. But I'm not telling yep. you anything. I'm not I'm not confessing. I'm not saying anything. Like Screw you. Oh, that's, that's such a like yeah. Puritan power move right there. Right? <laughs> I know. I know. They should have known right then that they were. That's it. No. You're done. Yeah. We're done. That was. Yeah. So if you want to learn about this this story there is a documentary that was made in ireland um it's called fairy wife the burning of bridget cleary uh it's came out it was produced by wildfire films and the director is aiden mccarthy um it's really good i watched it uh there's actually the single living relative of, I believe it was Jack Dunn. There's like one man left in that lineage and he was, he was involved in it. And there are people who live within the vicinity of that cottage where it happened. You get to see the cottage, you get to hear the stories, you get to hear the stories that have been passed down also, which is interesting. Oh yeah. It's still, um, people still talk about it today. There's a, like, it's a children's rhyme like a, a mm -hmm. skipping rhyme um, or, you know, just something children say. And it's, um, are you a witch or are you are a you fairy a or are you the wife of Michael Clary? So, I mean, it's still, yep. even now, 120 something years later, is still kind of in the the consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that that is interesting that it's an enduring story. Um now, I guess we can talk about the lore and give our thoughts at the end here about that episode um, because I have issues with it. I have issues because it go. you go first. You're the guest. Oh, I'm you just going to say, I, I find most of that episode really baffling. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> all, all I'll nicely say is I think there was a lot of confirmation bias going on. And I think they mm -hmm. kind of went into it with the idea that Michael was just a cold-blooded murderer who mm -hmm. hated his wife for some reason. Um, and like you said, they they kind of really downplay that there were a lot of other people involved before and after. Because mm -hmm. um, it's not like he killed her and then they all went immediately to turn him in. Like it was, there was a lot of stuff it going on. It took a while. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. was sad. Yeah. 
Like he yeah. he didn't really want to kill his wife. It just sort of happened. Yeah, no, there are accounts that even when he was in jail, he kept saying that he he believed that she was with the fairies. Like he yes. even in jail, he continued saying that. Um little random trivia for anyone who cares. He was in prison for twenty years. He got out and he moved to Canada. Yep. He, he, he left Went to the Liverpool whole continent. and then to Canada. Yep. Yeah. To get a fresh start. Yeah. Yeah, my my takeaway from that uh, episode is is it's very dramatic when you get to the the you know reenactments. Yeah. Uh, the actors do a reasonably good job of of selling the story, but he does come across as somebody who is jealous of his wife, that she's she's making more money than him. And one of the things he says at the end, because the title of it is Black Stockings, that my wife doesn't wear black stockings. I was just like, <laughs> everybody yeah. wore black stockings back then. They didn't show dirt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and your logic, was, Barbara. <laughs> I know. There was also <laughs> a moment where they were like, she had on a red petticoat. And I was, I was like, like, women had red petticoats for their period time y'all guys <laughs> i mean also like those are such it, to me those are such weirdly random things to pick on because right if that was true mm -hmm. if that was true though it's not just to be clear yeah <laughs> it's not that's the sort of thing though that like was she trying to advertise to everyone that this was that this was some kind of, she was some sort of whatever that she was an adulteress or that She's you know a strumpet <laughs> strumpet well, is and an that's the thing word. Yes. is is they are assuming strumpethood because were, of the they, black stockings and the red petticoat both of which have perfectly normal other explanations the and they're not mentioned yeah ever. yeah no yeah. no these are not things that show up all. in the trial records for example now, the only thing that does show up is she was wearing black stockings that was the only thing that was left on her body basically yeah. when they found yeah, her. Yeah, but like you said that was not like an But uncommon... it had nothing to do it wasn't like he set her on fire because of her freaking stockings. Also, why are we obsessed with this poor dead lady's underpants? That well, is always yeah. a good question. Why are we obsessed There's... with the women's underwear in general in a lot of these stories is also a good question. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, a little yeah, misogynist I... aside there. Like, right? Yeah. It's, it's I, all about I was kind of bridges. Yeah, I, I was to me, and they're trying to make it be feminist in a way. It's like, well, this evil man was, you know, he murdered his wife because he was a domestic abuser and, and she made she more money too than strong. Him. And she was too strong for him, so he had to beat her down and set her on fire. And but still, then they slip in the the salacious stockings and petticoat and you know, yeah underwear and and I, I i it's just weird i mean i feel like that 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 meme of of president obama where he's got his hands up and he's looking to the side like what i i i that's yeah. how i feel after the end of that i mean because i had to watch it again <laughs> to make sure i remembered it right you're, and i you're did and i'm one. still i i uh i okay yeah i mean is I it nothing is it an outside possibility that she was having an affair uh, it's highly unlikely quite frankly because that sort of thing would not have stayed secret at all no, back at then all. but or today quite frankly would not have stayed secret um is it possible that you know he he there was some domestic abuse going on i mean 
I'm about to say something just about the Victorian era in general and pretty much everything before, like, honestly, 1980 in the U.S. I might be a little, you know, overly optimistic with that. It, it really was not that uncommon for men to be what we would describe as abusive to their mm-hmm. spouse, even in a loving relationship, um, which is yeah. also horrific. But, you know, welcome to human history and Western civilization. So Hello, patriarchy. Right. I mean, is it is it <laughs> line one for you, patriarchy? Is it possible? I mean, there's really no evidence of it. It was not anything in the court records. It's nothing that her family ever mentioned. And you would think they would have because they were on trial, too. So that yeah. would have been the time to be like, actually, Michael it was, was a all terrible him. person. Yeah. who We always hated him. Yeah. The closest they come <laughs> he is forced they, us. they say when he pulled the knife and wouldn't let them yeah. put her out. Leave. Yeah. Yeah. And wouldn't let, her, let them help her. Yeah. But outside of that, like that would have been the time if there was any of that stuff actually going on for the family to save themselves, you know, to, mm-hmm. to make themselves look less guilty to say actually he you know she was very proud and she was you know stepping out or doing whatever and he did have to have a really firm hand with her whatever insert whatever patriarchal misogynistic you know phrase of the day you want to yeah you want to use but it just seems very strange that like there is no evidence of that at all if that was actually the main thing that was going on Mm mm-hmm but it apparently makes a really good story. Oh, it does. I guess, it does. you know, for, for modern audiences. And then you end it with Annie Oakley and <laughs> her husband, which I, I know I'm yeah. coming back to that. I mentioned it already, but it is so strange that, that that got thrown in as if to say, well, back in the Victorian era, there were men who weren't threatened by re- really super competent women. That I think that was the point they were making. But I, I'm like, uh, very weird. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of very strange modern ideas that float around about Bridget Cleary and what really happened. Um, and usually it's along the lines of the black stockings level of, you know, what mm-hmm. is even happening right now <laughs> with this theory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a weird thing. I, I guess it's partially because modern stories you know first we're looking at it from a modern perspective and not understanding no people really believed in fairies to that degree stop yeah yeah Yeah. stop trying to explain it as something else as as a mental disorder or whatever and i think it's also it's kind of a it's a story that's very mythic because she was the last witch or the last changeling burned in ireland that sounds so they in say. In a sick way. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It sounds in a sick way kind of romantic, doesn't it? In the weird Western mindset of how we tell stories. Um, and so she becomes kind of this symbol of she wasn't. I mean, she wasn't a witch. She wasn't a fairy. She was the wife of Michael Clary, and that's what she was. Yeah. But you can put all of your ideas onto her. Yeah. In a way. Well, and, and, along with her black stockings that were just so, so sinful. Yeah. Morgana, no? were you going to say else? something? I was just going to say it's also just the problem with doing. I really want someone that there have been a couple of good 
um, histories that have gone into discussing this lately that are sensible. Yeah. Um, but I really want someone to just do an excellent micro history about Bridget Cleary and just be like, here's what happened. Yeah. And um, we can interpret these are the theories yeah. that it could possibly be. Interpret Here's it from the there. evidence for each theory. Yeah. And then we're done now. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Angela Burke did a pretty good job I with was, the burning of Bridget Cleary. I was going to mention that yes. book. Yes. She she did a pretty good job. And I think it was there are places where um people criticize her because you know they say oh she's just making excuses for Michael Cleary oh you know and I was like no no that's not it she's pointing out the time period and and the beliefs that were in effect at that time and we just have problems with understanding educated people well, believing that I think I think a lot of our problem today is that we don't have the context we don't mm -hmm. look at it in the context mm -hmm. of 1895's English colony Ireland with the beliefs that were going on at the time, with the fact that there were other contemporary murders of changelings, um, mm -hmm. more often children and not as graphic or drawn out or involving, you know, immolation. But, you know, it's, it's not like she was this one out of nowhere <laughs> incident yes like it had yeah like it hadn't happened in years and years and years and 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 then all of a sudden boom yeah like there there was a lot of cultural context there was a lot of contemporary context there's a lot of things i think to really understand bridget cleary and what happened to her that you have to uh, you have to have you know if you go into it and you personally don't believe in fairies at all then obviously you're you're not going to have any reason to look at what Michael believed because to you that's nonsense. So mm -hmm. obviously you're going to say, well, something else must have been going on. Even though for him in the time that he lived and the place that he lived and the culture that he lived and et cetera, it actually wasn't considered an irrational belief. Yeah. You know, if, if he went and yeah. told his parish priest that he thought his wife was a changeling. It's not like the parish priest was going to say, no, you're being ridiculous. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, he, he went and performed an exorcism, you know? Yeah. We, yeah. we didn't get to that part when we were recapping the story. But yeah. That's yes, right. Sorry. But yes, after, that's right. <laughs> after the last rites, like a, a week or so later in the midst of the, the changeling situation. The hullabaloo. Yeah. They did get the priest to come back and he did perform an exorcism. So. Because, yep. The church the sacraments worked really well on fairies, which the Catholic church was like perfectly happy to support that belief yeah. because mm -hmm. it, you know, helped get people come to come to mass and to believe in the Catholic church. Well, it's, you know, yeah, I think it's hard for people who don't have the belief system to really understand how deeply embedded the idea of fairies are. Um, mm -hmm. in Irish culture, even today, where the belief is not as strong, obviously, as it was 120 years ago. But if you're completely outside of that context, you're going to have a very different understanding of all of this. And I think you have to put yourself into that context to some degree to understand yeah. it. Um, and obviously, I'm biased because I am in the modern context of it. But, you know, I think that's where a lot of people go off track in trying to understand yeah. Bridget. 
Well, and if the only thing you have seen is the lore episode, you, you're you not going to get the context because they just ignore it. Yeah. You know, so you're going to have that modern look at it. Oh, you know, this was just domestic violence gone really, really horribly wrong. Yeah. Not that you can do domestic violence, right? But, you know, there are degrees of terribleness. Yep. Well, anything else? Because we, we've, we've used up we all haven't, our time. There's more. We, <laughs> there isn't, there is more we could say. I mean, you know, there's, there's quotes from this book I would love to give. And I'll probably put them at, some of them in the show notes just yep. because it's very well written. But it's we very have good. been talking for a thousand years. <laughs> yes yes time goes differently in our world than but, it does in the, the other world but we were allowed to do world. it and it recorded yes, it. Right. i know i'm so excited about that yes yes we had a we had issues so the last time we tried to actually the original night that we were going to record this was two days before the date that she died yeah, the anniversary so that's probably what it was she probably yep. was like nope 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 and we were not allowed to record because everything decided to break. And then <laughs> yep. we almost didn't record tonight because, because my power was out. Yep. yep. I have quite a windstorm going on. It's been picking up as we've been talking. So I'm like, this is it's interesting times. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, my, yeah, then we'd better finish before the wind knocks your power out. <laughs> if I suddenly disappear, exactly. that's what has happened. Um, I will say my, my final closing thought to kind of, recap all of this not so much recap it but if you are studying Bridget Cleary or looking for sources and a source focuses just on Michael it's probably not a good source you, you yeah. want to look for stuff that that includes the fact that there were eight other people <laughs> you know yep. that it was a family affair so to speak because then you're going to get at least a little more of that context that you need yeah, yeah. and it was her family yeah it wasn't his family no as you would expect in a patriarchal culture. So, you know, that's, that puts a whole other spin on it. Yep. And it wasn't all uh, just well, men, as we mentioned, there were a, nope, several of her were, female yep. cousins and assorted relatives. Aunt, and, yeah. Yeah. So yep. it's, it's layers and it's complicated. And I think you have to take all of that into account. Absolutely. Agreed. That's exactly what you have to do. Um, well, thank you. Thank it's you. always good to talk with you. Yeah, this was this was a great conversation. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, you're welcome back anytime if you ever have anything you want to talk about. I know you have a book coming out or at least one book. I think you have five, probably. I, I always have books coming out. It's it's a personal problem <laughs> that I struggle with. Yeah. <laughs> true <laughs> well if you ever want to you know promote them on the podcast or talk about them that you are welcome at any time if you want to talk about your whole oof you, you're allowed you know so awesome just let us know all right Definitely. thank you thank you thank you guys for having me well that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of john keel podcast if you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.